Welcome to Pass It On with CWR Talent. I'm CWR, and this is my podcast dedicated to helping our aspiring leaders and mentors. We're sharing the valuable experience and advice of some of the most successful executives in my network. My specialty? Discover talent and pass it on. That's it. In simpler terms, I'm a headhunter with a twist. If you want to increase your knowledge, build resilience, or simply polish your soft skills in order to lead at the next level, my guests are all happy to share what works and what doesn't. It's honest, it's forward motion, and future thinking. We like it. Catch our latest episodes that drop Sundays at 12 p.m. GMT London time. And whether you're in London, New York, Lima, Paris, Perth, or Dubai, you'll find us on all platforms where podcasts live. We appreciate each and every listener, and we hope you'll share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. Here we go. Welcome. I'm CWR. Pressure getting to you at work? Expectations are high during business recoveries, and our leaders are asking a lot of each and every one of us during this time of talent shortage and the great quiet resignation. That pressure can get to you. Then life gets in the way and makes all that you're trying to balance on your spinning plates wobble like crazy. The crisis moment for an experienced senior executive or a young manager starting out is when you know you need help and can admit it and get it. We're going to jump right in with Nick O'Donnell, founder of The Spinning Plate, our favorite performance coaching concept, and an affiliate partner of CWR Talent. Nick is a veteran operator in hospitality and has designed a completely new way to approach the highs and lows of performance in our lives and find true and continuous balance. He coaches senior leadership on performance management and helps them navigate the moments when all their plates are spinning out of control. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you, Corrine. It's great to be it's great to be back on your podcast. I'm a big fan and it's great to be uh, involved again. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's great to have you back. Let's talk about all the pressure teams are under with the severe lack of staff and cutback management. What's it like in operations when extra hours, extra responsibilities, and extra exhaustion sets in? Well, Corinne, I'm, I'm not one of these people who shies away from using this word, but for me, there's no question about it. We are in a crisis. It's time to have crisis management plans in place. Uh, all, all the organizations that have invested in good quality training and support uh, for their senior teams around things like delegation and time management and crisis management uh, will have an opportunity now to put these things to work. Um, some of the organizations that I've worked with, they learned together and worked together to get through the lockdown and the early stages uh, of the pandemic and the, the various reactions around the world to that. And, They'll have learned an awful lot about how their teams work best together. Uh, in the past, when the, when there was a crisis looming, and there have been in the past, and there have been loads of them, you know, um, the tendency was people to work in silos, right, uh, and prove that their little bit of the organization was going fine, and all the other failures were therefore someone else's fault and someone else's problem, right? Mm, yeah. uh, that no longer works. You know, it never worked then anyway, but it works even even less now. It's a team effort that is most needed. Uh, more communication, not less. More support and help, not less. And use experts more, not less. 
if there's a new set of circumstances, a new set of challenges that are completely uh, alien to everyone in the team, the best that you can imagine is that they're going to attack it the same way they attacked every other problem that they've encountered. When there are people out there that, uh, you know, they, they are doing this for a living. People like me, for example, I'm seeing what other businesses are doing to, to cope with, with what they're facing now. And uh, it's a great opportunity for me to help share best practice across multiple organizations. Uh, I've been involved now for almost a year with a government scheme for small and medium-sized enterprises. And the majority of the leaders I've worked with uh, through that have uh, all asked uh, for additional individual coaching for themselves and for their senior team to help them deal with the stress of trying to do business in this high pressure environment. It's relentless and it's not reasonable in my opinion to expect people to get through it using the systems and processes of the past. Time management and delegation skills have never been more valuable, but they need to be really focusing on what are their values now? Have they changed since two years ago? What is their mission statement now? Has that changed? What's their vision for their organization now? Has that changed? I mean, in my opinion, if your vision statement for your business is the same today as it was two, three, four, five years ago, I don't think you've understood the size of the problem that we've got. It's absolutely huge. Recruitment is an issue. Holding on to your best people is an issue. Keeping people focused and motivated and inspired to face this relentless uh, set of challenges is something that great leaders need to be getting very clever about. And that means involving experts to talk about how do human beings deal with stress? Um, the human brain is a very complex organ in, in the body. It's, it's only got a very small part that deals with difficult problems. And it's got a big part that deals with all the other sorts of problems, but the human brain has probably only got three productive slots per day to deal with complex matters. And this bit, the frontal cortex, it gets tired, right? It's like any muscle in your body. The more you use it, the more tired it gets. And uh, the more tired it gets, the less capable it is of doing its job. Now, we've all been in situations where our creative brains have been tested and we find ourselves stuttering and stammering and spluttering and not being able to think of what we're going to say next. We've all found ourselves at the end of a hard day, not being able to remember the name of the person that we're talking to. You know, and you meet someone at a, at a meeting, they introduce themselves 30 seconds later, you can't remember who they are because pressure has this effect on people. So the first thing that I try and help people understand is how is your brain working? When's the best time to do the complex tasks? And how do you switch on and switch off from one set of problems to the next one. Um, things that take up most brain space are things like task prioritization. What's the most important thing that we need to be doing today? Delegation is an incredibly complex thought process. Who's the best person to help with this situation? Recruitment, finding great people is an incredibly complex set of decisions that your brain's making and will they fit in with the team? Do they have the experience they need, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no point doing any of these tasks when you're already tired and different people have different parts of the day when when they're when they're at their best but i can guarantee you that everyone is at their best after they've had a bit of a rest or a walk around the block after they've had something to eat particularly high sugary content food like jelly beans or a donut i know Barack obama used to always eat a donut before he went on stage to make a big speech you know because that bit of the brain needs glucose to keep it firing and keep it energized, you know? So these are 
all little bits and pieces, understanding the mechanics of the thought process, how the brain works, when you're at your best, when you're not at your best, when should you be focusing on these sorts of issues? When should you be answering emails? For example, answering emails doesn't take a lot of brain. You're answering a question most of the time, you know, or deleting it or whatever, you know. But if you're doing emails when you know you should be doing the tough stuff, then it's time to reassess how to prioritize your day. Nick, what do you see as the main causes of this imbalance? Some, some things are out of people's control, or so they thought. What type of decisions cause people to overload themselves? When, you, when can you say no? Well, you see, there's two parts uh, to this kind of question, Karina. One part is to do with what I was just mentioning, and the other part is also to do with what I was just mentioning, right? The first part is about teamwork. Right. When you've got a strong sense of team spirit and a group of executives or any leadership team of any size, when the team spirit is good and healthy and nurtured and looked after, it's easy to say no. Everybody understands why you've said no, because they know that everyone in the team is swinging the bat equally. They're throwing their weight behind every problem to the best of their ability. And if they say no to something, it's because they don't have time to do it. Right. Now, the task prioritization thing I mentioned earlier might mean that the next thing that comes up is more important than something you're already working on. So that process of deciding, if I take this on, I'm going to have to drop something else. That's a huge decision because the thing you're going to drop up until five minutes ago was important as well. Uh, so this ability to reprioritize, redo the list, that is a hugely complex thing and it needs to be done with a clear mind. So this idea of pointing a finger around the table, who wants to take on the HR responsibilities while the HR directors had to head off and deal with this other issue. You can't make a decision under you know, the spur of the moment like that. Everyone wants to be contributing. Everybody wants to do their best. But big decisions about taking something off your list of important priorities and replacing it with something that is deemed to be even more important is a big decision, needs some thought. But let's get back to the, the nuts and bolts of why do people feel overwhelmed, right? Uh, I talk a lot about what they call the SCARF theory of panic, right? SCARF is an acronym. The S stands for status. If anyone feels that as though their status is being undermined, their brain goes into fight or flight mode. You know, it's a sense of panic. What am I going to do? Am I going to knock this person's head off or am I going to run uh -huh. away? <laughs> right. And um, uh, the C stands for certainty. Everybody wants to have a sense of being able to know what's going to happen next. Right. The circumstances at the minute make it very difficult to know what's going to happen next. And that makes people's brains go into a certain sense of fight or flight, you know, a panic thing. I mean, you're in that mm -hmm. zone. It's difficult mm -hmm. to make good quality decisions, you know. Um, the A and SCARF stands for autonomy. You know, people want to know that they're able to have an impact on what's going to happen next. And if there's someone staring over their shoulder all the time or constantly asking for updates on what they're doing or any form of that type of micromanagement, the brain turns off. It goes into fight or flight mode. And again, good quality decisions are difficult to make when you're thinking like that. Uh, the R stands for relatedness, which is how closely do you feel to the people around you, you know, family and friends and things like that. If, if you get ignored, or overlooked, shunned, not listened to, people start to then feel as though they're not as big an important part of the team as they thought they were. And again, what am I going to do about that? You know, and the F 
for me, it's the most important one. It stands for fairness. People want to feel as though all the decisions that are being made are just, right? And that they're on the receiving end of well-considered options. And if they don't like the outcome, but it's a fair outcome, they can live with that. They don't like the outcome and it's not fair. Well, people can't handle that. You know, their brain goes into that panic mode. So my advice to people is when they're talking to people, be sensitive of how they phrase what they're going to say. If they want to intentionally undermine that person's status, then go ahead and do it. You know, you, uh, someone might want to make someone feel uncomfortable. Now, that's not, I'm not here to encourage people to do that, but I know that there are people out there that will carefully choose words and phrases to achieve a goal that establishes a sense of panic, right? You know, mm -hmm. look around you, have a, particularly at the political uh, end of the spectrum. There's an awful lot of that going on, you know. I heard someone say the other day that they couldn't decide if Macron and France was a friend or an enemy of the UK. I mean, that's completely crazy. That's um, completely nuts. Um, the certainty aspect of it, you know, when you're talking to people, uh, well, if we're all still here next week or if the business is still around next week, those sorts of things might sound like off-the-cuff remarks, but that makes people question the certainty of the future and what impact can they have on the control of that, you know. So the SCARF theory applies to how do you address people? It also applies to how do you receive information? Are they deliberately trying to do this or was that a bad selection of words? Let me ask a question to find out. Let me clear the air for everybody else in the room. So if I'm feeling as though there's a, a big question mark over whether or not we're gonna still be in business next week, then it's difficult to focus on good quality decision-making. So let me ask a question to clarify that. If I'm feeling it, everyone's feeling it probably, you know. So the SCARF, uh, principle helps how do you talk about situations how do you hear about situations but most importantly how do you make plans to address situations because what you want is a lower the sense of panic lower the sense of feeling overwhelmed lower the sense of feeling out of control and that is done through thinking clearly using your brain cleverly making plans that are sensitive to what you don't want to achieve which is a sense of panic right so thinking in those terms has helped us present uh, requests and solutions and being aware of not triggering an increase in panic is crucial i always uh, say to people don't underestimate the power and the value of strong teams when trust and understanding are at a high level it makes it easy for people to say no and when people feel that they can say no without being judged uh it's good for the overall health of the team and it's good for the overall sense of a feeling of control, even when things seem uncertain. I agree with that. Fine tuning your decision making skills and priorities is really hard when people feel their job is overwhelming their lives and can't get a handle on it. What kind of issues seem to be the most frequent lately in your practice? Well, decision making is crucial. All the all the great books on the subject talk about spending the extra time to make good quality decisions. The two already mentioned that the clever part of the brain gets tired when it gets used too much and it needs food and rest, you know, jelly beans and a walk around the, around the block. I always notice this in American movies in particular. Uh, <laughs> Gordon Gecko, I think, had a big bowl of jelly babies or jelly beans or something on his desk. And it's this kind of thing. I don't think it's because uh, jelly beans are, are an Americanism. You know, I think it's because executives know <laughs> that 
the brain needs glucose to function. And so a couple of jelly beans here and there, Obama and his donuts, Clinton used to eat donuts as well, by the way. Um, <laughs> they, help, they help feed the brain with what it needs. Uh, you know, understanding a bit about the neuroscience really does help people make better plans. Understanding the SCARF principle really helps them understand why they're feeling panicked. And when people understand what's making them feel uncomfortable about a situation, it helps them make better plans to help everybody else feel much more comfortable about it. Uh, and that's what it's all about, is reacting to a situation and coming out with a good quality plan that has been well thought through and well considered. Um, I mentioned it a bit earlier in a, a previous conversation with you, Corinne, you know, it's time to put to bed the myth about multitasking. People think they need to be constantly working on a number of work streams at the same time. That's simply not the case. Uh, the example that I use is, you know, the greatest minds in the world uh, are all chess grandmasters, whether we like it or not. You know, we all think we're all very clever, but we aren't until uh, we sit down with someone who's a chess grandmaster and you understand exactly how much they've got going on. The reality is they never have more than three things going on at the same time. They're imagining what the next move is going to be and they decide it's either going to be this one, this one, or this one. And they associate that move if they make that move, it opens up a whole range of other things that might happen after that, but they're not thinking about the other things that happen after. They're just thinking about, if he does that, I've got a plan. If he does this, I've got another plan. If they do that, I've got another plan. And the way that I help people to uh, manage the, the, the whole range of things that might happen if this or that or the other thing were to happen is I get, you know, I say to them, you know, get a whiteboard or, or a piece of paper and uh, divide it into quadrants and have the four big projects that you're working on in the minute, one, two, three, and four, and draw a little pictogram, a little picture, or write a word or something that sums up the entirety of that work stream, right? So for someone like you, uh, Karina, it might be uh, you're looking for a chief financial officer for a resort and in the Middle East that needs to speak four languages, needs to do this, do this. You know what they need, but you don't need to be carrying all that around with you all the time. So you could just write Dubai. And when you look at the word Dubai, boom, all that other stuff automatically gets turned on, but it's not in the forefront of your mind until you see the word Dubai. The next thing might be Paris, right? Or it might be Place de Concorde. It could be another big project that you're working on. For me, it could be uh, one of the big uh, restaurant companies that I do business with, you know, I know what they need. They need an awful lot of stuff. And if I were to carry around all the stuff they need in the forefront of my mind, I don't think I could cross the road safely, you know? So <laughs> what I need to be, <laughs> what I need to be able to do is uh, I, I know what I use. I'm not going to say, because it's a confidential arrangement that I've got with them, but uh, uh, I know what I write on my diary. It's a little, uh, it's a, it's a little picture. And when I see that picture, boom, the library opens on everything that I need to do for them. So this sense of uh, multitasking is really what the people who are good at seem to be good at multitasking are good at. They're good at turning things off, right? If the next stage of the project requires a document to be sent through from a legal firm confirming one thing or another, and the whole project depends on the outcome of that letter, there's no point spending the next four hours checking your inbox every five minutes to see if the email has turned up. 
you know that when it turns up, another decision will have to be made, turn off that project, get on to the next project. Mm. When, they, when you hit the wall in that project, when an outside party needs to provide you with information that you can't get for yourself, turn it off until the information turns up. And like that, instead of managing projects, we're managing tasks. And whenever we're managing tasks, we wait until the next step arrives. How do we maintain focus on them all? We, we do what the best do. We build pictures that represent larger uh, plans and ideas and libraries of information. Every time I use that, it works. Sometimes all one needs is a fresh view on the situation and, and a method to cope. So this is what you can provide. What's your success rate, Nick? <laughs> well, I mean, people ask me what's my success rate. Uh, I've been doing my spinning plate stuff now for uh, a little over two years, uh, almost three years. Um, so far, the success rate remains at 100%, right? <laughs> uh, but look, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy because there, there aren't any rules written in the sky that I need to uh, reach a success with every client within 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. I work until success is achieved. And sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's three months. Sometimes it's six months. Three months is about the average. Um, mm. And, you know, having someone that's not part of your organization is a great thing. Having someone to talk to. I'm focused on the person that I'm dealing with. I'm focused on what they want to work with. I keep probing and pushing and, and, and uh, forcing them to answer challenging questions that they, that they have of themselves and what's holding them back and what could they be doing better and why are they not doing it and when are they going to start it and how will they track success and all the rest of it. And I become a bit of a pain in the ass for them, you know, because I don't mm -hmm. let them off the hook. Uh, I help them manage what they've got on the plate. The spinning plate is uh, the analogy that I use that uh, your, your, your life is like a plate spinning on a stick. Everything on that plate is sort of manageable, but occasionally something lands on it that causes it to wobble. And that's when people call me and I help them identify what it is about this new challenge that's, that's difficult for them to, to handle uh, and uh, force them to at least draw the problem to the center of the plate so it's less disruptive and then build a plan to solve it from there. And when you're not dealing with stuff on the plate, you need to be dealing with a stick. You know, as Warren Buffett says, in difficult times like this, the best investment you can make is in yourself. So uh, go on those courses, get that training, use expert wi experts wisely, pick their brains, find out how you can get better as a person, become stronger and more resilient. And the, the thicker the stick, the heavier the plate can get before it starts to wobble, you know? So when you're not dealing with problems, you need to be dealing with yourself. And that's what I do. I help people address issues by helping them deal with themselves. Cause an awful lot of the time, the reason it's a problem is because of the person, you know, and they, <laughs> they, they don't want it or it's too scary to, to look at it up close and, and deal, deal with it. So with regards to my own tenacity, to force people to really dig deep on the sources of their anxieties and uh, the elements that are causing their plates to wobble. Yeah, I, I don't give up. Uh, I don't let them off the hook. Uh, I keep on pushing and pushing. And as a result of that, it's been 100% successful so far. <laughs> All right, long may that continue. 
Long may that continue is right. I mean, we can all arrive at that silver lining once we clear up all those clouds of imbalance and with purpose and direction. Thanks, Nick. I'm so appreciative for joining us and sharing more about the spinning plate. I think it's a very valuable concept that is quite different in how you attack working with senior executives and their issues to help them get past. Real pleasure, Nick. Thanks a lot. Yeah, my pleasure as well, Karina. It's always good to spend time with you on here and uh yeah, I uh, look forward to the, the next one that speaks All right, we will. <laughs> Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll give us a follow and a like. This has been Pass It On with CWR Talent. Pass it on. <laughs>